0: Welcome to the 39th episode of the Promo Guy podcast. We are brought to you by Better Odds, a new odds shopping platform that is coming soon. So right now, only people from my Discord have had access to it with a code. Those people that renewed, so it's been one month now Those who renewed, still got half off their second month uh, after getting basically free their first month. We are still in sort of the growth phase in terms of, you know, adding features and stuff like that. So uh, we're not quite ready to roll it out, but we did make a huge progress this morning getting the Parlay Builder up and running, which I will uh, have some fun with Nick doing in a second. But uh, first, let me welcome uh, Nick from Blue Duck Media. Nick, how are you doing? I'm good,
1: brother. I'm good. Uh, some big news came in for the Miami Heat yesterday. I've been excited
0: to talk to you about it. We barely spoke about it coming into this. Terry Rozier. Yeah. I mean, it's a great trade for the heat. I don't know if anyone could feasibly argue otherwise swapping uh Lowry in a protected first for Rozier. the only argument against is just that you lose that first round pick asset to potentially get a bigger whale, but I'm not sure the heat are really looking to do that yeah I don't know if they
1: I don't know if they had the pieces to go do that. I don't know if they necessarily had the contracts well they
0: they have the pieces because they have hockey, but I don't know if they're willing to trade him, yeah like. Hakez and the picks get the dumb, but I don't think that they want to do that. But I, I think just revisiting the Dame stuff, you kind of get like a discount Dame in Rozier. You know, not quite the dynamic player, particularly shooter that Dame is, but, you know, a, a worse version of him, better defender, who, but you get to keep, you know, Duncan, Hero, Hakez, Jovic, right? Uh, you get to keep, all that depth around him. And I think the Heat are clearly a better team than last year. Uh, I think that this Heat team story will come down to, can Jimmy repeat what he's done the last, well, three of the last four postseasons, which is be one of the best three players on the planet. It's sure. It's really so-
1: crazy how quiet he seems to be during the regular season and then shows up and just reminds us all that he's one of the best players in the world.
0: He's probably missed at least half the games this season. But yes, even when he's played, he hasn't been what he looks like in the playoffs. So you know, I think this is clearly a better team. Bam's improved, Hero's improved. Uh, I think Josh Richardson, you know, easily comes in for for Vincent. Duncan's improved, and then you know, you add Jaime Jaquez, you add uh, obviously Terry Rozier, who's a dynamic player and kind of what the Heat are missing uh, in a lot of ways. So you know, I think that they jump into. I don't know about the Boston-Milwaukee thing, although, again, I don't know how confident you are if you're Boston-Milwaukee and you're playing this heat team. But I don't know if they jump into that, but I think they move ahead of, you know, your beloved Knicks and the Cavs and the Pacers category. Um, Although, again, I think if you're one of those top three teams, you'd rather play one of those teams than the Heat even before, but we'll see.
1: Um. Yeah, excited to see. I was looking at the standings. It seems like the Knicks and Cavs are starting to separate themselves a bit from the Heat and Pacers. So we'll see if this puts the Heat back in the same category as the Knicks and Cavs. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, the playoffs are a different beast. I, I think you probably in the playoffs would maybe rather see the Knicks than the Heat. But again, that... The Knicks team is very different than it was last year, is much better.
0: No, look, I think the East is a scary monster. I mean, and Embiid scored 70 points the other day. Uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned them. They're 29 and 13. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think that there'll be a serious race to avoid the play-in. Because the Cavs are in the four. And then a half game behind them are the Knicks. Two and a half behind the Knicks are the Heat in the sixth. Then a half game behind them is the Pacers. I think so,
1: personally, I think that you have a very clear top six, and it will probably be the Pacers if neither neither the Cavs, Knicks, or Heat have any bit of a setback injury or whatever.
0: Maybe, uh, but you know, adding Siakam's nice, and you know, you you mentioned that the the Pacers have dropped, you know, have been falling a little bit. I think that part of that's just Halliburton's been out, but yeah, I think that they'll be raised. I, I do think. Even though, you know, the Heat are great in the playoffs and whatever, I do think they ran out of steam at the end of last playoffs. And I think a lot of that had to do with fighting to get to the play-in, fighting in two play-in games. And, you know, I think you, you kind of lose a little bit of wind in your sails. They're, they're a little deeper this year, but you want to avoid uh, that play and having to win all those road games and just the sheer energy that it takes. You know, we joke about Heat culture, like the sheer energy it takes. but I'm excited to see what uh, Promo Guy Podcast guest Rob Foder is able to continue to do with the development of all these guys that we've mentioned, and and to get you know Terry Rozier under his under his wing.
1: Fully on the same page. Excited to see what the Heat do, but we've got a long show, so I'm going to keep it moving. Yes. I'll tee you up right here. Let's jump into the state of the stack.
0: Yeah, let's actually do. I want to play with the. I forgot to tell you beforehand. I want to play with the Parlay Builder uh, on Better Odds. So. Because I think it's really cool. I definitely have some notes for Corby. But I want you to give me a three-like parlay that you want to do this weekend. Me. Or, or even today. Do it on the NBA games tonight.
1: No worries. I'll start tonight. I think I'll go Mavs plus two and a half at home against the Suns. Okay. I will take Got it. the Chiefs with points this upcoming weekend. You know what? I'll take the Chiefs money line this weekend, and I'll take the Lions with the okay. points.
0: Got Chiefs money line, and then you said Lions was at plus seven? Correct. Okay, let's generate it. Okay, your best place to bet this is Pinnacle, which is kind of cheating because you're not going to have Pinnacle, and basically no one listening to this will. But let's see the next best place, places to bet it. Win bet at plus 913. So Pinnacle has got it plus 942. Not a surprise, Pinnacle is, you know, they have tight markets. These are all main lines, it looks like that, yep, that uh, Nick chose. So Pinnacle's best at plus 942. We have the weighted market average at plus 1032. So it's negative, uh, it says 7.94% EV. Uh, the best place for him to bet it at a place that people actually have is ESPN bet at plus 884, is at plus 869. Uh, Fanatics, plus 865. Camby plus 854. But anyway, you can see it's all right in front of us. The best places to, to do it, the EV versus the way to market average, and then, you know, finding your own book. So Circa's got it, at plus 905, um, which is surprising. I mean, you'd think they'd be a little bit better on this. But anyway, there you go, showing off the partlay builder. I think it's really cool. I do have some notes for Corby, so ways we can improve it. Just, but, you know, it looks very cool. It was pretty easy to use. You, know, you saw I got through it pretty quickly. And we have the way to market average that I went through in previous episodes, how we get to. And I think it's kind of like the best way to do it. And then obviously just the EV up that. Cool. All right. So fun parlay builder. Good job developers for getting that out so quickly. And uh, let's get to the show. What do we have next, Nick? Uh, we got the state of the stack. State of the stack. Yes. Okay. So Twitter, we are down $130 uh, this week. It will be our second ever negative notes, notepad week or whatever. Sometimes I do multiple a week. Uh, Negative 130. You're telling me this is episode 39. This is our second negative week? Probably more like second negative week since uh, October 1st is when I started it. Wow. So a few months. But yeah. No. uh, So Twitter, you know, obviously it's been a, a steady grind up. This is a bit of a setback down 131. Also, if I'm wrong about the notepads thing, like that happens, I'm scrolling through, it doesn't seem like it. Eh, November 1st is okay, maybe maybe it's like the the first negative one in like two months or something. It seems like there was some in October that were down. Anywho, down 131, it moves us on the month to about up 230. So, you know, kind of chugging a little up, up 250. Sorry. Um, not great. Not a great week. Let's see. The biggest win was the was the DraftKings NFL parlay. We just lost a lot of things on one leg. Alec Martinez killed us twice on block shots. Just a lot of close losses. FanDuel boost didn't do well. Just a lot of stuff not going right. A lot of minus tens in that in that G. I mean, even the the five dollar one plus six seventy five the Caesar SGP Shea hits a very difficult shot and ends up going 2 points over and everything uh, you know the other legs hit you know just some tough breaks honestly but not too bad damage wise down 131 and uh i actually now starting to track on discord the promo stuff just on, I, like i hate I, i've i've avoided it for years because i don't think it's fair to track this stuff and when i say it's not fair like for example, on MGM, <laughs> it says in the last two weeks, it started two weeks ago, we're up 52 units, right? Like that's that's obviously ridiculous because MGM rolls out a ton of promos, and you're not and, and you're not gonna have a lot of them, right? So you probably have a fraction of them. And that's just for the people that even have um, MGM that that have promos on it, all that stuff, right? So like for me to go out and be like, oh, we're up 52 units on MGM is kind of nonsense. Um because most individuals are not up fifty-two units in two weeks on MGM, but that is our total. So things are going great on MGM. Doesn't mean they're going quite as great as I said. Bet Rivers going awesome, up twenty-five units. That is a crazy two-week return. Uh, I was honestly surprised to see it. I hired someone to do this, um, <laughs> so I was I was surprised to see it. Just I know the parlay insurance, insurance stuff has gone well. But you know that's six hundred and twenty-five bucks, and I'm pretty sure everything we've done has basically been twenty-five dollars. So uh, that was a really, really good return to see in, over these two weeks. And then the last book that I asked uh, her to track was uh, ESPN, and ESPN's up about ten units over two weeks. So yeah, it, Discord's been chugging along promo-wise. The higher-tier officials have done well. And I've been very happy just with, like, the plays we've gotten there quantity-wise and quality-wise. So, yeah, Discord's been chugging along, Twitter with a crummy week. And also, like, it felt worse than it was, the down 130, just because, (laughs) like, you you know, every time I passed on a boost, it felt like it hit, even though it has been the opposite for a while now. Uh, And we had a ton of free bets to use that I thought we kind of had in our pocket that would bail us out a bit. and then. They kept losing by one. We had the Harrison Barnes one lose by one. The James Harden one lose by one. So it felt worse than it was. But still, I'm always focused on the, the place that's not doing well. So like if it's the higher tier officials, then I focus there. If it's the Twitter stuff, then I focus there. So I'm, my, my mentally, I'm, I've been you know, frustrated with the Twitter stuff. And hopefully uh, today starts a bit of a turnaround. Even though we are up 250 bucks on the month, which isn't too bad.
1: Yeah, not too bad at all. Um, it's, uh, You expect a down week every now and then, and
0: when that's your down week and your month is still positive, I don't really think there
1: can be too much complaining.
0: Um, Well, I'm complaining. Also, my DMs have been hilarious lately, like hilarious and like angry one. Next week we might have to do a DM reading. No, nah, I don't I don't want to do that to people. <laughs> <you before. laughs> my, 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 my favorite one was like, this guy's like, you're an idiot for doing these plays. And I'm like, who's the bigger idiot, the the idiot or the guy that follows the idiot? And he goes, it's the idiot, dude. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I tried, I tried to be lighthearted about it, but he wasn't feeling it.
1: Um, well, this might be fun. It might be fun to put people on glass a little bit next week, but we've got a big gambling landscape update. There's a lot going on. We've got some news that we just saw break this morning, but we'll start with North Carolina announcing their list of books. Um, they will be launching on March 11th, and these operators are likely to be launching on that date. Bet365, BetMGM, Caesars, DraftKings, ESPN Bet, Fanatics, FanDuel, and Underdog Sports. I think that's one of the more robust robust lineups of sports gambling partners that have launched on the first day of sports gambling being legal in a state. Why is North Carolina having so many partners are so many books available right at the start? Is this a sign of things to come? Are laws relaxing a little bit? What's going on here and what are your takeaways?
0: Well, it's it's not really about how many they've gotten. I think there's ten in New York. It's just that they really didn't waste any any ammo. Like in New York we have like valley bed and like resorts world, like it's just stuff that like like useless books basically, you know, that don't take bets, that don't have promo like they don't do whatever. So there was definitely some wasted ammo in New York and other states. Uh, so what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like this eight's not that many per se. It's just they got all the good ones. I mean, yeah, sure, everybody's got FanDuel, DraftKings, most places have Caesars and MGM. But then you get, and Fanatics is kind of the weak link here. Although it's still, it might be the eighth best book. Like I, I guess I'd prefer like a Bet Rivers there. But then you get into Bet three sixty five awesome, not in a ton of states, awesome book, ESPN bet, it really has become an awesome book. Uh, not, not in New York, at least, but it's, it's in almost every state. And then the one that jumps out to me is underdog. So this isn't to be clear, this isn't like the DFS underdog. This is them having a sports book underdog, which I don't know if I've mentioned on here, but I've I, at least I knew behind the scenes, I think most people knew that they had been working towards this. But I didn't know it would come this soon. And it's exciting to see because, you know, that's a big name that's been in the DFS space, you know, kind of the same background as some of the bigger boys, you know, that we know today. And I'm very curious to see if Underdog, you know, brings it and becomes a serious player here. And if they and then presumably they will try and get into more states. And we're seeing books, you know, crappy books basically falling off left and right. It's nice to see Bet365 continuing to merge in more states. Like, you know, is it possible that New York in a year gets rid of some of the, what I call them, crappy books and all of a sudden has Bet365 and ESPN Bet and Underdog replacing them? And all of a sudden, like, it's gambler's paradise with all of these great sports books. And I talk about New York because that's my perspective, but, you know, you can extend that logic to legalized gambling states across the country
1: yeah i i think it's it, do we think there's a reason
0: why no, no prize picks or sleeper were the two that stood out to me Th- these, are sport- these, are, these are just legalized sports these are just legalized sports books so dfs is a whole different conversation they don't need the same licensing ah interesting so yeah underdogs underdogs going to be like a fan or DraftKings. Uh, i guess i used bad example they're gonna be like an mgm or a caesars you know it's not going to be their DFS version that they're talking about here—they're gonna have a full-fledged sports book with regular minus one ten lines, presumably, and promos, and all of that. Not, you know, not obviously. Is this the first state that. that they've rolled that out in? Yeah, this is the first one. Yep. So I'm very curious wow. what that look like. But I just—I honestly, it's gonna sound funny. Like I couldn't even imagine being in North Carolina. You know, I'm just used to my DraftKings, FanDuel, Caesars, MGM, Bevers. Like I couldn't imagine having Bet three sixty five. And ESPN bet added to it, and if underdogs good, then adding like three more really good sports books, like that's crazy. That's that's really exciting for them. So you know, I hope every state looks like this. To be honest, you know, after some reconfiguration.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like the more competition leads to more promos and more deals for us. So I, I'd say. The more the more sportsbook we see in a, each state, the better for us. Um, speaking of many sportsbooks and speaking of DraftKings, Barstool mm-hmm. announced a deal this morning that they're going to be partnering with DraftKings. Um, their non-compete in the gambling space ends at the end of football season, so it is not yet official. But it seems like they are due to sign an eight-figure deal with DraftKings Um, I don't think they'll be licensing out their name. It's more of a pure uh, marketing play where they are just promoting DraftKings. Do you see this changing anything for DraftKings? I think this probably just signifies DraftKings continuing to spend money in the space. Um, What are your takeaways from this headline?
0: Well, my first thought was the same first thought that everyone had, which is, man, ESPN really sold it back to Portnoy for a dollar with the one stipulation that he couldn't be involved in gambling and it lasted like a couple months. Like, that's crazy. It just feels like, you know, the ultimate leasing. And obviously, there's probably stuff that I don't know or some benefit of doubt I should be giving. But it does just feel weird that we're going to be having, you know, big cats can't lose parlay on DraftKings. But yeah, I think exactly what you're saying is that they're continuing to spend in more targeted ways I think that, you know, you mentioned an eight-figure deal. Like, I think this would do, this will help them gain market share, gain, yeah, basically gain new users a lot better than a couple Super Bowl commercials would. So, you know, I think this makes all the sense in the world. And I think that it's great for us. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of promos that come from it. And that they're just doing more of this, like, boots on the ground type way of, Acquisition. I think they learned a lot to be honest with you when they went really quiet for that summer. And it, you know, we talked about how much it was hurting them maybe like a year and a half ago now. And I, I think that they learned a lot from that. And they, they seem to continue to be focusing their efforts in promotion. They've been number one in the EV rankings now for a while, where they were way well below that uh, a year and a half ago. They're not doing, I mean, maybe they will have a Super Bowl commercial, but I I feel like they're doing less of that and more of stuff like this, like connecting with gamblers as opposed to just generic commercials, which they have were just flooding us with. Let's call it a year and a half ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does feel like a more organic way to interact with gambling fans. And it does feel like, I mean, when you're for those that watch the Barstool gambling shows and are engaging with all of that content, having all of the lines come from DraftKings and have the logo all over it definitely doesn't hurt. I agree. It's funny. Every time we talk about this kind of stuff, you relate it back to a Super Bowl commercial. And it's honestly a good baseline comparison. If you're going to spend the marketing money, a Super Bowl commercial gets your name out there, sure. Um but I do think that something like this probably is a more effective spend and has a longer like lifespan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I think that this is a great spend and allows them to sponsor shows, allows them to constantly be giving out picks. And if DraftKings does a good job integrating them where it's like the Barstool Advisors pick of the week and you just click one button and you get to ride with them, it's a pretty... Pretty smart way for DraftKings to continue to steal as much of the market share as they can. So, um,
0: I think yeah, great play I, by I think them. that's a really good point. Uh, that you 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 really get that audience. Like Barstool did really well in revenue per customer, uh, and that was just because they had all these like, to be honest, like rich, twenty three year old like banking kids who just wanted to blow off some steam and bet some parlays with Big Cat, right? Like and I think that capturing that audience is really important to any sports book and that, you know, you're you're kind of they're very loyal to the brand as opposed to like anything else or too too concerned with the odds. Like, oh, you know, I just want to fade Big Cat's parlay or tail Big Cat's parlay or watch the sports advisor like go get a a hoodie by betting the over. Like whatever it is, like Reaching that audience is, is important and they will have to use promotions to keep those, even those people engaged, whether it's promos the way we like them or promos like, you know, getting a hoodie. Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's definitely an engaged audience and it'll be interesting to see how much they integrate them into their platform. I guess let's keep it moving. We've got one more in the gambling landscape update, and this is with an ESPN bet late line movement. I'm not even going to go ahead and try and explain this. I'll let you explain it. We talked about it in our pre-production call, and you were you used the same example of this being a better money spend than a Super Bowl commercial. So, explain what ESPN bet did here, and why you think it's either smart or stupid.
0: Yeah. So, I'm under the assumption. So, okay, sorry. So, for those who don't know, ESPN bet at some point. I think it was Wednesday night. Moved the odds on. The Ravens and Chiefs to off market prices. So they were not like the, the Ravens were minus nine and a half everywhere. They moved them to minus seven and a half, presumably in order to try and draw action on uh, the Ravens and the, and the Chiefs. And then they, they kind of moved their lines back to, to normal prices, but boosted with essentially no limit the money line for the Chiefs, which had some limits for some people. And then like almost truly no limit on Ravens minus nine and a half and minus ten and a half. They boosted it. Uh, it was about when they first boosted it. Lines kind of moved towards the Ravens. So it made it look better at the end. But it was about 5% EV for the nine and a half. I think it was a little bit better for the ten and a half. So, okay. First, the question is, why did they do this? Why would they give out a crazy high max? Positive V on a highly bet game. Like, why are they basically giving away money? Because a ton of people, it literally was giving away money because they arped it with exchanges, which we can talk about in a second. But why would they do it? My personal opinion is that at some point around that Wednesday time period, they received a very large bet, millions of dollars, on Texans plus 9.5 and and Texans plus 10.5. They could have done nothing about it and just said, hey, we have a... A VIG edge, you know, like the Sportsbooks takes, we'll take our chances. They could have moved their prices, which which they did do, in order to balance it out and maybe take a little bit of VIG net in the end, although they, I think they moved it too much. But they could have tried to balance it by by the prices they, they showed. Um, maybe they could have tried to hedge in other ways. But what they ultimately clearly decided to do was to boost the odds to essentially the other side and where I believe is where they took the bet, which was plus 10.5 at minus 140 and then plus 9.5 at minus 110. That's where I believe that they took the price and then they just said, you know what, let's turn this into a big marketing opportunity and we're going to boost it high maxes, go crazy. And if you are a bit great, like we are trying to get signups from this. We are not trying to make money off of this huge wager we're just trying to you know do it as a marketing and i think i think it was great they could have played it up more but you know it's not like they knew that they were going to do this and it could have balanced out. like you know you run a commercial and then all of a sudden somebody puts two and a half million dollars on the other side and then you're done boosting it so i think they weren't exactly sure and that's why they didn't market it up more but still this got a ton of press it got a, them a ton of signups i can tell you you know probably more effective in getting people to literally sign up for your sports book then, like I'll say, like, like, you know, FanDuel's Gronk kicking a field goal commercial, even though that actually is a promotion that puts money in people's hands. I think they probably got just as many signups from this as FanDuel did from that without actually losing any money off this, without spending any commercials, without doing any of that, just because they were offsetting a pick. And there's obviously the opportunity cost there. But assuming that's what happened, I think it's really smart. And sure, they could have played it up more, they could have timed it better, but you don't know when the guy's going to come in and put the big bet on. And I think that they, you know, making it a boost, getting attention, having ESPN articles about it, uh, having word spread on such a big game that people are betting on. It's like, you know, if you're a bettor in any state that has ESPN and you want to go bet on the Ravens, why in the world would you do it not at ESPN? And that—that's ultimately what happened, right? People were like, "Well, I've had—I've only been a DraftKings FanDuel guy for years, but ESPN bets in my state. I'm going to bet the Ravens. Why would I bet it on DraftKings FanDuel when I can get plus one ten instead of minus one ten at ESPN?"
1: Yeah, I mean, I—I I think this is a fantastic way for them to to not only get people to wager like you're you're offering a line that is better than most of the market so you get people to sign up and take advantage of that but also it kind of endears you to sharper sports gamblers and maybe even less sharp sports gamblers that this was one where they were happy instead of operating like a normal sports book and saying, hey, we have a lot of action on one side. That's what happens. We have the upside of the VIG. I, they wanted to, they were willing to take some loss in order to get back to 50-50 and offer some value to players. And if they're going to be a player-friendly sportsbook for the time being, and that's how they view their like marketing spend, their marketing spend is giving a few extra points here and there to, to the gambler. I mean, it seems like a really, really good strategy to endear you to all levels of gamblers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and people criticize them a lot saying like, oh, this is not what you do when you get a big handle, like, you know, take some risk and, and try and make, you know, do some kind of market making, try and get, try and, you know, make some money out of this. But I think it's like, oh, I, well, we could make you know, minus 110 versus minus 105 or even plus 100. Or we could get the whole world <laughs> to sign up for ESPN bet and, and just forego that, that opportunity. I also think that by doing this, it helped them. And again, this whole thing looked a little different because the prices happened to move towards the Ravens uh, during the week. But so the other side became like plus 102 at places as opposed to just the normal like, minus 105, minus 110. But I think that it, it, it allowed them to show, you know, presumably this whale person, a better price. And, you know, I think back to like when I was trading, if we had the equivalent of a $5 bet come in, we would show, let's say, minus 102 or something like, sure, whatever, go crazy, do whatever you want. And then if we had a, you know, $6 million bet equivalent come in, Like, we would charge, like, minus 120 equivalent. Like, we would charge a lot more than just the standard minus 110. And I think that their ability to reach everyone, being ESPN and being a major sports book and the, frankly, the, you know, the nature of the sports betting market, you know, when I was a market maker at a bank, you didn't necessarily have the whole world to just do this with. Uh, And we wouldn't care about getting... There's, there's, like there was no equivalent to do it like this. Uh, I think by by having that kind of liquidity out, I think that you know they they captured it well, and so it ended up being a win-win-win. I think that the the whale got a good price, right? He got minus one hundred ten, he or she uh got minus one hundred ten on a price that was minus one ten everywhere. There was no extra charge for the size of the bet. The sports book got a ton of signups without losing money, without spending marketing share, without whatever, without spending marketing money, without a Super Bowl commercial. The whole thing, and betters won, right? Because they not only got plus EV boost that happened to hit, but they were able to wager more than they ever would on this kind of thing, and then just arbit out on exchanges or at like circle, you know, just arbit out basically. The price wasn't quite good enough to arbit out at like a most at like a you know you couldn't just arbit on like fan or drafting. I mean you could, but they were at like minus one hundred five, minus one hundred eight, stuff like that. So it wasn't like a real arb. But the exchanges were at like you know plus one hundred three, stuff like that. So stuff you know really really good price, and they're like literally just printing money. The exchanges printed money, betters printed money. I mean obviously the whale lost both his bets, but. That, that's, you know, outcome-oriented thinking. Being able to get that much liquidity down, assuming that he or she wanted it at, you know, a regular decent price is a win. And presumably why they went to ESPN, because they were the ones most willing to do that because they wanted to have this play. Like, this might not make as much sense to do if you're DraftKings or your FanDuel because everyone's already signed up for them. But it made a lot of sense for ESPN, who's still newer to the, to the scene.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just it's a good way to build relationships with gamblers and have, be a place where people trust that you are not purely in it for the profit, which kind of makes sense for a place like ESPN, where it's like it's it can all lead yeah, back there's more to it. Yeah, it all leads back into being part of the ESPN ecosystem and like just getting you signing up is more valuable to them. Than like trying to screw you over on an individual bet and their bottom line is over
0: but yeah then market making a little bit and and, their bottom line is not not as driven by purely
1: sports gambling revenue so they're able to take a little bit more of a risk and say hey we don't really we're not looking to necessarily profit off of this trade we're more looking to provide value to our users allow everyone to have a good gambling experience and get you into the ESPN Disney ecosystem. Um, So I I think a really smart move. I think it's an interesting way to spend money. And I think it's interesting that both them and uh, DraftKings are looking for unique, different ways to spend money. We've talked about how profitable and how the best way to gain market share is offering promotions and boosts. And it seems like these are two other ways where – or especially on the ESPN bet side where you can provide value to your customers um, with minimal spend um, relative yeah. to a Super and, Bowl
0: commercial. And a lot of so. you might not care about this, but maybe, maybe you do. So uh, I guess just going back to my trading side, like why you had to make it minus 120 instead of the standard minus 110 is – think about it like this. A hedge fund comes in, right, and they say, I want this at massive size. They are, they are likely going to make money on this. So over the long haul, they wouldn't exist, right? And at too big of a size, first off, they're showing it to everyone. So if we keep the sports betting analogy going, they're showing it to ESPN, FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, MGM. So everybody knows that this exists. And so at that point, you're not going to be able to say, okay, I'll take this at minus 110, and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to MGM and, and hedge them out at plus 105. Not that that really happens in the sports betting world, but I'm trying to keep the analogy going. Uh, because MGM's is going to be like, yeah, right. I know how much of that you have. Like, I'm I'm not going to let you out kind of a thing. So now all of a sudden you're holding it. But, and yeah, great. You got your minus 110. You feel good about that. Except for the fact that this hedge fund had all day to figure out exactly the weakness, just like, you know, a sharp better looks at every single line and then they find the one to attack. How good are you feeling about your minus 110 when they chose that one? And they said, and you know, their returns are going to be, are likely to be positive. So they think they're going to make money off of this minus 110. You shouldn't feel that good about making money off of your minus 110 if they feel good. And no other, and no other bank, or in this case, Sportsbook, was willing to take that same bet. So that's why you have to charge more basically for the cost to hold it. Because if, you, if you're only making bets that the other side plans on making money on and they have the right to think that they will, and you're not able to hedge, or you know, I guess the easier word in the sports betting series would be to arb, not that that's not a finance word, but whatever, uh, would be to arb it out, then like you're just sitting there holding bad positions. And you might think that you made a plus EV or a with VIG bet, but you likely did <laughs> because that's the one that they picked. So that's why you kind of have to charge more for the bigger size. When it's the small stuff, then it doesn't really matter because you can you can find liquidity out of it or just hold it. It's probably not like this big, sharp whale coming in. And who knows if the person going to ESPN was. I'm kind of moving past the ESPN analogy part of it. But just in case you're wondering like what a trader is thinking about, it's what are all the bets in my portfolio? Yeah, it's nice to get the minus 110, except for like... It probably the spread was probably two points off to begin with if this guy thinks that they're going to make money off of their minus 110. And if you don't think that you're going to be able to hedge it, uh, then you kind of have to charge the minus 120. Now, there, there are times when you can charge minus 110. When is that? Well, if you know you have another client that's dying to go the other way, and this is why it's important to talk to salespeople, talk to clients, you know that there's a client that wants to go the other way then you'll say, hey, yeah, I'll take your minus 110 because I know this guy will take it from me at plus 105 and I'll make risk-free money just like people did with the exchanges. So that's why you win those types of trades, like the really big trades against the sharp people because all of a sudden you're making money and also you're making your clients happy. You showed great liquidity to this one big client, but you also helped out another client that might not even be like this kind of sharp betting thing. It might be more of a, like just a regular corporate client that wants to find like a decent price and has to hedge out their exposure to whatever. I mean, it depends on what you're trading. And they're just like, hey, thanks. Like I've been working on that forever. And you finally filled me at a better price than I ever dreamed of. And you're like, hey, you're welcome. I made risk-free money. So sometimes you can show the minus 110, but that, but like, if you don't have that kind of thing going, you don't want your portfolio to just be a bunch of, you know, bets that like look great going in but they, they look even better to the, to the guy opposite you that, that spent all day looking at your thousands of prices and found the one that they thought was, was going to be the one that they're willing to cross, you know, the minus 110 for. so That's why I'd say you show the minus 120. Okay, I don't know if we want to keep that. I just was like, I thought maybe people would find it interesting. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, all right, cool. So I think we probably
1: should take a break here because we've got a small Big Thought and then some Grinds My Gears. So we'll take a break right here. We'll be right back to do today's Big Thought and Grinds My Gears. here with the big thought today we are talking about the math at the end of a football game uh for the Bucks and Lions a lot of people were up in arms about some of the decisions at the end of that game so we'll start with the first one the Bucks choose to go for two while down 14. Can you explain that to me and why you think that makes sense mathematically and can I just preface before you jump in that no matter what you say I disagree with the decision love
0: it yeah so I mean this gets. It's become like a hot thing this year to go for two and then for people to get mad about it. And, and then the people that understand it just say like, oh, it's analytics. like and start yelling. And then the people that don't understand it just say like, is it though? And also like we're just slapping analytics onto everything. You don't understand how it works with whatever. Okay. First off, there were wins this year solely because of it. Um, but the, like the Titans-Dolphins game. But – and the, the Packers also won a game. I forget against too where they came back and they won basically solely because they did this. But we don't use anecdotal evidence for why we make decisions. The math is actually pretty clear. If you want to argue that going for two and getting it, like the morale boost is not as much as how bad it is for morale to not get the two, and that affects everything else, like, okay, you can have that opinion. Uh, I'm just going to go through the math of it. So you're down 14, you score a touchdown. For ease of argument, let's assume that you will score another touchdown in the game and the other team won't score at all, right? Or else this doesn't really matter because you're going to lose anyway. So assuming that happens, you score a touchdown, you're down 14. So now you're down eight. If you kick the extra point twice, you will go to overtime. Let's say you have a 50% chance of winning in overtime. Okay. So if you kick the extra point twice, and I'm just assuming that you get a two point conversion half the time and you make an extra point 100% of the time. Just to keep it easy, I know it's more like 47.94. Okay, so you kick an extra point twice, you go to overtime, you win half the time. Let's forget about that scenario now. We're trying to beat 50% of the time by going for two the first time. So we score a touchdown, we go for two. 50% chance of the time we we convert and we move to down six. Then we score another touchdown. We've made that a given we kick the extra point, which we've also made a given, we win. So, 50% of the time, we win and that 50% is just making the two-point conversion, right? But now there's a scenario so that that already evens out the extra point scenario. But now let's say we don't get the two, which happens 50% of the time. Now, we score another touchdown, we we are now going to choose to go for two again because we're down 8, we have another 50% chance of getting it. So, now our chances of winning the game are boiled down to getting a two-point conversion to tie the game and then winning in overtime, which is 50%. So 50% times 50% is 25%. You multiply that by the 50% chance that you didn't get the two, and that's 12.5%. And that's just our extra edge on this, right? Because if we get the two point the first time, we're going to win the game. That There's 50%. Now the other 50%, 50% of the time we miss the two, multiply by 50% of the chance we get the two, multiply by 50% chance that we win in overtime, 12.5%. Our chances of winning the game, assuming that we're going to score another touchdown and the other team won't, if we go for two the first time, are now 62.5% as opposed to the 50% chance if we kick the extra point twice. So the math is very clear. I don't know if simple is the right word, but hopefully I laid it out clearly enough for you. And that is why you basically have to go for two. If you score a touchdown the first time down 14, and it's really, we don't, I mean, it's really just about optionality because if you go down six, you can kick an extra point and win the game. But if you go down eight, you get another chance to tie it.
1: Yeah. Any I, questions? I, it's not questions. I just don't necessarily disagree. I think all of those analytics don't necessarily factor in all of the real life situations and more, maybe even more important than real life situations, the real life emotions. I think that. When you're a – first of all, it doesn't factor in the fact that Baker Mayfield is a short quarterback and isn't necessarily as good in two-yard situations as he might be in a third and ten where he can use his rocket of an arm across the field. And it's that's just not his ideal situation. Like to say that the analytics have the same decision for Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield just feels kind of silly to me. It's like, well, it says – that you should do it, but you're not factoring in who I have under center. I, I think that would be my number one well, complaint.
0: Look, the, the, the math certainly changes. If you, let's say, you think that your two-point conversion percentage is really more like 35% and, the, and you have the best kicker in the world, so you're 100% to make the extra point, uh, then yeah, certainly the math would change. We're, kind of talk, we're talking about the average NFL team here. And this is why people say like, yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to explain the math behind it, but if my if my assumptions are wrong or not tailored to a team, then yeah, absolutely, that could be the case. I don't know if Baker Mayfield or or, or you know, because he's pretty mobile, so I doubt he's that bad at two point convergence situations. But if the and I don't know if there's really any team that it's drastic enough to overcome that twelve and a half percent. But it's you know, it's a very good point that you're making. I'd say the other thing is just the emotion of the game. Uh, When
1: you are down 14, let's say the other team has the ball, you then get the turnover, momentum's on your side. You then get the touchdown, momentum's on your side, and then you miss the the two-point conversion. It kind of just feels like a bit of a letdown and a come down to earth that's not worth the risk. Like, if I'm a team, I would rather some potentially if i am unsure of my team being able to pull it out in overtime would rather go for the one allow my defense to have all the energy and all the momentum of oh my god we're storming back we have this they're overwhelmed they're not ready for this and then get on the second touchdown potentially go for two because the momentum is overwhelmingly on our side i i just i think it doesn't factor in the emotional letdown of six instead of seven or eight and even when it's eight like yes the upside of eight allows you to then put a lot of pressure mentally on the other team where they're like oh my god not only can we not give them the ball back but if we give them the ball back we are we are going to outright lose i i guess that pressure maybe offsets it i just think it's a, it's definitely a risk that's hard to calculate. The emotional letdown of not getting that two point conversion.
0: Yeah, look, you might be right, and 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 you know, I would be surprised if the emotions were that different at seven versus eight, in the sense of you're still one score away. Uh, obviously, it's a tougher hill to climb, but I don't know if you have that emotional letdown while you just scored a touchdown and you're down one score. Uh, I can't speak to it from like a, you know, I've never been. Uh, really in a football locker room. <laughs> it's certainly not a professional one and where I could feel it and whatever. So look, and maybe that's, that's where the coach decisions come into the head. But if you think that I, I'm kind of going through the math of all else equal, right. And I think that, you know, from a basketball perspective, if you're down two versus down three with six seconds to go. I don't know if emotionally things are that different. Football is obviously a, a much more emotional game, right. Where playing with energy is more important uh, as opposed to really in basketball, like keeping your emotions in check is probably more important. So look, you know, I, I can't say wrong, but I, I hope that this was helpful for people trying to understand why the analytics say to go for it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's an interesting argument to have. And I, I get, I understanding the math makes it helpful for people to understand why it, in the first place, it's even a conversation. Um, yeah, hopefully I just, Michael
0: Wilbon will be less angry.
1: Yeah, I, I I hate finding myself on the boomer side of this, where it's <laughs> like I'm like the angry guy. Like, don't go for it. Analytics
0: are wrong. It sounds like you're saying if you have Josh Allen though, that you should go for it.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of do agree with that. If and, you and have a team that's team. built, yeah, if you have a team that's built to succeed in short yardage situations. I mean, it was interesting. The Defensive offsides in the Chiefs game. Do you know what I'm talking about? When they I were on kicking the extra point, right? Yep. Yeah. When they were kicking the extra point instead yeah, of taking it at the it. instead of taking it. Well, no, they instead of taking it at the one yard line. And uh, often, if something like that happens, teams are like, "Okay, now instead of going for it from the two, we go for it from the one." They yeah. end up going for the two point conversion. I like uh, – you think that Andy Reid is a big risk taker and a forward offensive thinker. He could have taken it at the one-yard line and gone for two. Instead, they re-kicked it, took the extra point and, and enforced – They didn't
0: re-kick it. They just they – just They did. Declined the penalty. No, they – re-
1: make it? They had to – he made it twice. They re-kicked it and then they applied the penalty on the kickoff – where they kicked it cleanly out of the end zone and it made no, absolutely no difference on the game. Andy Reid just wasn't willing to take the risk of potentially not going for two uh, or not g- converting yeah, on yeah. the two.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, that sounds kind of crazy to me just because you clearly have more than a 50% chance of converting the two. And I don't want to hear about the emotional stuff at a random point in the game. I don't know. Um, I think in that game where it's going
1: back and forth, back and you forth.
0: kick I just wouldn't feel comfortable, like if. But they don't really sneak it with Mahomes, do they?
1: No, the, if, mean, if that's, anything, that's the few times the bit. few the few times they've snuck it, they put Travis Kelsey under center.
0: Right, I've seen that.
1: That that was a fun one. Let's uh let's move into grind my gears. We'll talk a little bit more Josh Allen here. Um, what's got you fired up this week?
0: You know what really grinds my gears? Finally, I have so many grinds my gears this week. Uh oh. <laughs> First off. I'm, I'm getting more porn tagged onto me than ever. Is that a grinds my um, gears or
1: is this like a weird place for you to tell us your preferences?
0: No. Not, <laughs> no, I just keep getting tagged. Like, I can't this stop film, watching porn. This film. No, getting tagged. <laughs> the promo guy 123 is getting tagged in, in porn that's it's like almost every day now. And I don't know. Our old theory was the porno guy. Uh, we did ask one of the nicer OnlyFans people that it wasn't like too disgusting of a of, of one. I don't, know, I don't know how to say it. Uh, and she said that there's another promo guy that does porn and she confused me with him. I said, oh, that's super fair. Thank you for your feedback. And now I'm getting tagged with the other guy in all of these. So I, I have no idea, I, I, they, but they fully think I'm a porn account at this point, it seems. That's the first grinds my gears. The second grinds my gears, is that Josh Allen's getting so much hate this week. It actually makes no sense to me, and I bring things back to Brady, as people listening often know I do. But Josh Allen this week was terrific. Like objectively, he ran two touchdowns in. They they were scoring on almost all their drives. Like there wasn't a ton of points because. Drives on both sides were taking a while and there was a lot of running the ball. But the offense was, was very efficient. And at the end of the game, which is where people put way too much emphasis and where he's getting criticized the most for the last drive, the second to the last drive, he had a great throw to Shurfield. It was a tough catch, dropped it. Okay, then the last drive, he throws a bomb to Diggs who drops it. Tough catch again, but... Definitely catchable. Still marches the team all the way down the field. Gets to, I don't know, the 20-something. Uh, sure, could you criticize that he made the wrong read? Although, really, it looked like he definitely could have thrown a touchdown there to Shakir if he didn't get hit on the backside. Whatever. Had no turnovers in the game. Was Played a very clean game, in my opinion. Was dynamic with his legs. Made huge throws with his arm. The team was scoring. And then, okay, kicker misses the field goal. They're playing against Patrick Mahomes, who, like, they didn't seem to even punt till the fourth quarter. Like, and then losing loses to people like, oh, Josh Allen just can't get over the hump. And it makes me think, because, like, the whole positive of Brady, who is statistically not even that close, honestly, to the best quarterback, and definitely statistically not close to being the best playoff quarterback of all time, you know, he's described as, well, he always got it done at the end of games. And really most of that was driving his team down to field goal range. and. The kicker made it, but whatever. The, the, that, that, that's a small part of this. I, I saw a tweet from, uh, you know, that Barry guy uh, on Twitter. And it was about his six conference championship chip, chip games that Brady won and it showed the stats of it. Well, I looked up, well, well that's, that's six of the ten. I'm like, geez, what's it, well, what do his total numbers look like? And you know what they look like? 21 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in like 10 games. The guy's averaging like o- almost two interceptions a game. He had multiple three interception games that he won in the conference championship game. And like, how could you possibly tell me? Oh, well, Brady's got that, got got that it because he was winning Super Bowls 13 to three, and where he's and conference championship games where he's throwing three picks in the second half. And statistically, his passer rating is like 82 something, which is like, you know, 38th all time in the NFL, even though, you know, he's this amazing playoff performer. Uh, where Josh Allen, I'm watching him make big time throws, also drive his team down to, to kick field goals, like put up points, no turnovers. Uh, and people are like, oh, Josh Allen doesn't have what it takes, blah, blah, blah. Like ESPN was like roasting him. And, yeah, I don't think he's as good as Mahomes, but he's probably the second-best quarterback in the NFL or close to it, and he's top three or four. And, frankly, I would take him over any version Brady had, especially, like, I mean, I, think, I still think Brady's best game ever was the, was the Eagles Super Bowl that they lost. So this QB wins thing, it, it drives me nuts, um, where, you know, especially when you relate it to Brady, who's got multiple conference championships wins like I said with three picks you know 21 touchdowns 17 interceptions it's not impressive all these 13 to 3 type Super Bowl wins and, you know his first years they relied on the defense and some of the later years and we can even forget that you know they went 11 and 5 all right I won't do this again but they went 11 I, I'd and 5 the year he was out 3 and 1 when he got suspended like what are we doing here
1: I'd say my only pushback here is we must be following some pretty different accounts because I feel like there's been a lot of praise for Josh Allen and how well they played. I think a lot of it has been a lot of what I've seen has been hating on the kicker and a lot of wide, right stuff. And I think there's no doubt that Josh Allen played almost a perfect game. The, the throw rolling left on a rope to Shakir was insane. The perfect ball, 65 yards down the field, Field hits uh digs in the hands. I thought that maybe once or twice, the one where he tried to go over the middle and got bumped, maybe that should have been a check down to digs. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we're splitting hairs. Spec- he he played right. it, it, from what I've seen, the media has acknowledged that he played a pretty perfect game. And if it was a Josh Allen being Josh Allen, where you have the good with the bad game, then I think there would have been a lot of Josh Allen hate. I think it was just like – I've seen a lot of do you blame Patrick Ewing for never beating Michael Jordan? Do you blame Reggie Miller for never beating Michael Jordan? I I feel like it's been like, dude, he's playing against the greatest of all time who also happens to have the best defense he's ever had in his career. Like, sorry, it sucks. You're going up against an unstoppable force and it just – you got unlucky. And like eventually – Everyone wants you to break through. I saw Bomani Jones getting mad that uh, there was, seems to be a like white bias that that he, everyone in the media wants it. Josh Allen will get it eventually, but when Lamar loses, it's it, he he's got to be better. I feel like the media loves Josh Allen and continues to be like he'll break through eventually. Like he's just he's not he's playing the best of all time. It's not his fault. So. While, while I agree with your commentary that like it's not Josh – it's Josh Allen played a great game. He shouldn't be, get that much hate. I feel like he's gotten out of this one kind of okay.
0: Um, in, in some ways, you're right. I think a lot of people acknowledge that he's a top five quarterback. But I do think that if you ask a lot of people, they would say, you know, he, he, he doesn't get it done late even though he literally threw the go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left. Uh, a couple of years ago when they played the Chiefs. Like, what else was he supposed to do? And that, like, you know, he just doesn't have that, that it that people talk about that's mostly nonsense, except for when it's, like, anti-it and you're talking about James Harden. But, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you're right. I, I saw an ESPN thing where they were going pretty hard at him and kind of having that. Nick Wright always goes hard at him, too.
1: I feel like Nick's lot, taking
0: it easy on him this week. But a lot of that is is, is sort of the preconceived, Like he was, he was going hard at him before, right?
1: Yeah, I feel like Uh, it was really hard at him before, and he's been kind of, he hasn't been too bad to him this week.
0: He was talking about, oh, he fumbled one time, and they luckily recovered it, and they scored zero points in the fourth quarter. But okay, maybe, maybe you've, you've, you know, relaxed me a little bit, and maybe I just did this whole thing as an excuse to talk shit about Brady. We'll never know, but those stats are pretty damning. I mean, I, can't, I, actually, I actually can't believe, as, as the number one Brady hater, I cannot believe that he has 21 touchdowns to 17 interceptions in conference championship games and is 10 and 4 in them. <laughs> or was it 10? Yeah. I oh, don't know. So I must be, at, oh, sorry. He's got 10, 10 wins. Sorry. So he's averaging like, like 1.3, whatever, interceptions. It actually makes a little bit more sense. But still, that ratio and that passer rating is kind of crazy. You know, obviously, like you look at Rodgers and Mahomes and you know guys that he's considered better than, it's it's a little baffling. But also, last thing I'll say, that Brett Favre throw against the Saints a bunch of years ago, absolutely crazy. I had forgotten how bad it was. He could have because they've been showing, yeah, they've been showing the clip lately because it was like the anniversary, and he could have just run ten yards, kicked a field goal, and won. Assuming the kicker didn't Tyler Bath you know, miss it, but uh, but instead he threw it across his body and lost in the game. Anyway, uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, appreciate you listening. Great review, subscribe, uh, and have a good week.